0: But I want to tell you something tonight. Spiritually, there is fire in your future. You say, Brother Paul, what do you mean? Well, if you do not know Jesus Christ as Savior and you die in your sins, there will come a day when you stand before the God of heaven at a place called the Great White Throne Judgment and you will be judged according to your works, and you will be cast into a lake of fire. If you die without Christ, there's fire in your future. But if you're here and you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, there's fire in your future as well. Oh, no, you will not be judged at the great white throne judgment. That's not what I'm talking about. Your soul will never be thrown into hell if you have trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. But according to the passage of Scripture we have just read, there is a fire for the believer that will judge and try our works on this earth. And so I say to you, you must be prepared for the fire. I want to preach a message that I've entitled, Survive the Fire. Survive the fire. Because according to this passage of Scripture, you and I can so order our lives that we can be prepared for the spiritual fire that's coming. I want us to notice some things. The Apostle Paul is speaking of your life and mine. And as he speaks of your life and mine, he compares our lives to a building. Notice the question is not if we're building or not. That's not the question. Notice what he says here. He says in verse 10, according to the grace of God which is given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon, but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. Notice it says every man. It does not say let every man take heed if he builds. No, no, no. The assumption is made you're building, I'm building and the 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 man the thing that we need to be concerned with is not what we're building, it's not how big it is or how small it is, but it is how we are building. For 15 years of my life, I sat under a man by the name of Charles Surrett. This is a, one of the sayings that he drilled into us when I sat as a member of his church. He said, What you build shows talent, how you build shows character. And the Word of God tells us very plainly here, let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. Now, I want you to notice several things about this passage of Scripture. Notice the Apostle Paul talks about the foundation. Remember, we're looking at your life and mine as a building, and so first of all, he talks about the foundation. Notice verse 11, for other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. You know, the the foundation of a building is the most important part in many ways. You can have a beautiful structure. You can have beautiful decorations. You can have beautiful paint. You can have beautiful uh, beautiful architecture in every respect. But if there is a flaw in the foundation, the entire edifice will come crumbling down. When I was a boy growing up in upstate South Carolina, there was a house about a block and a half, maybe two blocks from where I lived. The Lees often referred to it as a cute house. I don't know what that means, Pastor Monday, a cute house. I mean, they look at a baby, that, uh, and they call the baby cute, and they look at a house and call it cute. I don't, know, I don't know how to define that word, but it was often described as a cute house. And uh, you know, it's a very interesting thing, though, about that house. It wouldn't be long before you'd see the moving truck, and Brother John, they would unload everything, you think, oh, somebody's bought the house. But then it wouldn't be long before, I don't know, three months, four months, the moving truck would be back, and they'd be moving out. And we always just scratch our head and think, you know, that house looks pretty good on the outside. I wonder why nobody stays. Until word got out, the problem was a problem with the foundation. You know, it's interesting to me how many people try to live life without the proper foundation. The proper foundation. Other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. I was preaching in South Dakota, and uh, and a man, the man, the pastor said to me, he said, brother Paul, he said, I've been trying to f- find this lady at home. I've been unsuccessful, but I I want to find her today. Would you like to go visiting with me? I said, man, let's go, let's do it. So we jumped in his vehicle and pulled up in there, and uh, everything was good. We got out. Sure enough, the lady was home. Man, I was looking forward to it. And the pastor, the pastor was going to take charge. He was going to kind of be the lead in this particular visit. And I know how to preach the gospel. I've given the gospel many times. I know, I know the basic tenets, how you have to establish the fact that we're sinners and there's a penalty for sin and Jesus took the penalty for our sin. I know how to preach the gospel. And you can preach the gospel from many different places. So I was a little bit surprised when the pastor opened his Bible to the book of Psalms. Now, you can preach the gospel from the book of Psalms. Absolutely. 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 But he did not go to any of the psalms that I would have thought he would have gone to. You can go to the psalm where it says the fool has said in Psalm 14, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. You might start there, but that's not what he did. He went to Psalm 127. Now, you don't need to turn there, but this is what it says. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Now, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, right? All Scripture is profitable, but you're going to preach the gospel from that verse? Except the Lord, uh, uh, except the Lord uh, keep the city, the watchman waketh, but in vain. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain, that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh, but in vain. I thought to myself, how is this man going to preach the gospel from that? How are you going to get from that to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? And then he said something very intriguing to me. He said, ma'am, she appeared to be about 60 or 61, something like that. She, he said to her, she, he said, ma'am, I don't know what it is that you have as, as goals in life. Maybe you have family goals. Maybe you have, uh, maybe you have relationship goals. Maybe you have goals at work and a career and all of that. I don't know what your goals are in life. But he said, whatever they are, they are doomed to failure without the foundation of Jesus Christ. Because except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. I sat there I thought, wow. I would have never gone to that verse to preach the gospel, but you know what? The guy's right. And what he said to her, I say to you tonight. Do you understand? It doesn't matter if you have a goal of uh, of having a nice family one day. It's not going to succeed unless you have the proper foundation. You say, I want to build a career for myself. That's fine. That's wonderful. But it's not going to succeed except you have the right foundation. You can talk about uh, all kinds of life. There are people that want to, people to have their best life here on this earth. And let me tell you, all of that is doomed to, is doomed to failure unless you and I have the foundation of... Of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you, do you have the foundation? Do you have the foundation? You say, Brother Paul, what, is, what does it mean when the foundation is Jesus Christ? It means simply this. It means that you or I have come to the Savior and we have admitted that we are a sinner. That's what it means. It means, furthermore, that we have understood that Jesus took our penalty for sin on the cross of Calvary by dying. Then he rose again from the dead, and now he freely offers salvation. And you know what? The foundation of salvation. If you're here today and you have never accepted Jesus Christ as salvation, as Savior in salvation, you need to do so tonight. You need to get saved tonight. It's interesting to me, the Bible never tells us to make a spiritual decision tomorrow. You ever notice that? the Bible says in 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 22 he says how long halt you between two opinions he said look y'all been on the fence long enough we've, we've got a couple of southerners here we're, we're communicating right now Okay? he said y'all been on the fence long enough it's time to get off the fence and make a decision about this thing and do it right now I'm talking to somebody in here tonight and you've heard the gospel before and you know what it means to be saved but you have held out until now still straddling the fence I'm here to tell you now is the accepted time now is the day of salvation I'm here to tell you boast not thyself of tomorrow thou knowest not what the day may bring forth the Bible says in Joshua 24 and verse 15 choose you this day whom you will serve it doesn't say think about it and get back to me in three months it doesn't say get your nice retirement and, uh, and, and get on social security and then think about those things no it says choose you this day And I'm here to tell you, there are people in this room that need to make a decision to trust Christ tonight. You need to do that. Because the foundation is so important. Other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Do you have the foundation tonight? I want you to notice something else. Something else. Not only does he talk about the foundation in this building, but he talks about what's built on top of the foundation. Now, I grew up in construction. We call that the framework. The framework. So let's look at the framework. The Word of God says in verse 11, He speaks to the foundation. Look at verse 12. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. Now, the sentence does not end there, but we'll get to the rest of the sentence in a minute. In verse 12, he talks about the framework, and interestingly enough, in this context, he divides the building materials into two categories. Do you see it in verse 12? Look at it there. The Bible says, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones. Now, what do those have in common? You say they're expensive. Well, that may be true. But what else do they have in common? With respect to fire, they're not destroyed by fire right? Gold. What happens when you put gold in the fire? Well, it's refined. The impurities are taken out, and uh, you you, you can get the purest gold by putting it through the fire. Likewise, silver. Precious stones. Many precious stones can't even be made without heat and pressure. And so they stand the fire. On the other hand, you have wood, you have hay, and you have stubble. What does wood do in a fire? We don't, have to, we don't have to scratch our heads about that. It burns. I'm probably talking to somebody, some of you out there, and you're thinking, man, I'm glad I've got enough wood for the coming winter. Why? Because you put the wood in the fire, and it burns. But then there's hay. I don't think anybody here burns hay in their fireplace, but hay sure does burn, doesn't it? Stubble. It burns, and it burns mighty quickly. So here we have, and talking about the framework, whatever is built on the foundation, we have two classifications of building materials. Now listen very carefully. All my life I've heard gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble. And I have a question, Brother Carnes. What in my life differentiates between the two? How do I know if I'm building with what will stand the test of fire or if I'm building with something that will be consumed? How do I know? I'm going to give you just two suggestions that I hope will help you and uh, help you kind of differentiate in your mind. When you and I build with gold, silver, and precious stone, we are living for eternity instead of for what is temporal. What does that mean? All through the New Testament, you have this phrase, he loved this present world, Christ has died for us that He might redeem us from this present world or this present evil world. What does it mean? It means the things that are now, whatever you see now. Now, I want you to think with me. Everything that you can see, everything that you can touch tonight is temporary, right? Right? Especially if you drive a Chevrolet automobile, it's really temporary. But anyway, uh, everything that we can put our hands on, everything that we can touch, is going to—it's going to pass away one day. I mean, if it, if it doesn't pass away by the time we die, there's coming a day when the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also, and the works that are therein shall be burned up. That's what Simon Peter tells us in 2 Peter chapter 3. So everything that you can see, everything that I can see, everything that we can handle, everything that we can touch, is temporary. And I can live for what is temporary, or I can live for what is eternal. So I can live, now this is, this is in my life, this is very personal for me, I am looking forward to the day when I can go and get a four-wheeler. I had to drag my daughter's deer, my daughter and I dragged a deer over three and a quarter miles through the swamps of Mississippi. And I feel like I've been there, done that, I've got my man card to prove it, and I don't ever have to do that again, Pastor Monday. In that part of Mississippi, I'm allowed by the law to go, in to go in and retrieve a deer with a four-wheeler, so I'm saving up. I'm going to get me one one day. And you know what? Let's say I do get it. Let's say I do get it, and I, I am able to use it, and it's a wonderful thing for me. And I, but it, It's all really just temporary. And whatever effort I expend getting that four-wheeler will one day burn and be consumed at the judgment seat of Christ. So the question is this. What part of your life is spent living for eternity? Now, part of our life has to be spent living for this world. Okay? If you don't believe me, try not paying your bills and see how life goes. Okay? And you can go in and, and give them a sermon and say, Well, I'm living for eternity so I don't have to pay my bills. The power company's not going to see it that way. They're not. The bank isn't going to see it that way when it comes to your mortgage. Part of our life is spent living for the things of this world. I understand that. But let me ask you something. What part of your life is spent living for eternity? What part of your life is spent opening the Word of God and communing with God as you read His Word? What part of your life is spent on your knees in prayer? What part of your life is spent telling others about the Lord Jesus Christ? What part of your life is spent for the things of God and for eternity? Because whenever you and I decide today I have set aside time that I'm not living for things that are going to pass away, but I'm going to live for something that is eternal and priceless, you're grabbing the gold and putting it into the building. You're grabbing the silver and you're weaving it in. You're adorning it with the precious stones and when the fire comes and tries your work and mine, those things will stand the test of the fire. But I want to give you a second suggestion that I believe differentiates between gold, silver, and precious stone and wood, hay, stubble. I believe this. I believe it is important as we serve God to serve God in the power of the Holy Spirit instead of in the power of the flesh. Now, this is what I believe. Listen very carefully. It is possible to do religious activity in the power of the flesh. You say, Brother Paul, what do you mean by that? The Pharisees were some of the most religious people in all the Word of God. They were separate from what people considered to be sinful. But Jesus never had anything good to say about them because they, they, they knew the Scriptures, but everything they did, they did to be seen of men in the power of their flesh. Did you know that it's possible for me to get up and play, a, play the piano in the power of the flesh? It's possible to do that, but I'm not going to earn any rewards in heaven for it. It might be possible for me to preach a sermon in the power of the flesh. I might, it might be possible to do that, but I don't earn any rewards doing it. It's possible for me to tell someone about Christ, to give out a gospel tract, to witness for Jesus in the power of the flesh. It's possible for me to read my Bible in the power of the flesh. But can I tell you something? None of that earns us rewards in heaven. God is looking for His believers, His sons, His daughters, to serve Him in the Holy Ghost power, not in the power of the flesh. And when you and I come to the Lord and we say, Lord Jesus, I've got to serve you tonight. But would you take me and would you empower me so that what is seen and what is heard is not of me, but it's of God. All of a sudden, then we're reaching over and grabbing those precious stones along with the gold and the silver and we're working them in. What are you building with tonight, child of God? What are you building with? What part of your life is spent living for things that will stand the test of time? He talks about our framework here. He says in verse 13, the Bible says, Every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. We've looked at the foundation. We've looked at the framework. Notice the fire. Verse 13, that it shall be revealed by fire. The fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. Hey, that's good news. Do you understand? This is the way God wants us to work. You and I come to God and we say, God, I've got a task that's bigger than I am. I've got a, I've got a difficulty that is insurmountable, but I am trusting in the power of your Holy Spirit to take control of me and to, and to, to work through me to get this task done. So what does God do? God gives us the power to serve Him. He gives us His Holy Spirit. He allows His Holy Spirit to take control. And He works through us to see great things accomplished. And then, then He turns around and at the judgment seat of Christ, He rewards us. What? But that's what He does. That's the way He does it. That's not very fair, Pastor Monday, but there's a lot in salvation that's not fair. I mean, it's kind of one-sided on my end. You mean to tell me that God is going to take away all of my sins when I accept Him as Savior? And not only that, He's going to give me the perfect righteous record of Jesus Christ so that every time then the, the accuser marches into God's uh, holy office and says, Paul, crow's an awful sinner. God goes over to the file and He says, I'm sorry, Satan. I don't see any of that there. All I see is the perfect righteous record of Jesus Christ. That doesn't seem very fair to me, but that's what the Bible says. It seems awful one-sided in my in my favor but that's exactly the way that scales are tipped and likewise after I get saved God gives me the Holy Ghost who then can empower me to serve Him and at the end of my life if I have have served Him He will take what I have done through the power of the Holy Spirit and reward me for doing it wow but that's the way it is You see, if any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. Maybe you've heard of the five crowns spoken of in the New Testament, and it's an excellent study. Different crowns uh, that the Scripture talks of, and it's it's just wonderful to to look into those and to delve into those, and certainly those will be part of the rewards, but that's not the reward that I want to focus on tonight. I want to focus on a different reward, a reward that the Bible also speaks of. Though it does not call it a crown. When I was growing up as a boy, I told you my dad was a roofer, and uh, I, I'm so grateful that I grew up in a roofer's home. I'm grateful for two things. I'm grateful that my dad taught me the roofer's trade and how to put on roofs. And I'm gr- the second thing I'm grateful for is that I no longer have to do that. Okay, I'm grateful for both of those things. But uh, one day we were working on this one roof. It was in Upstate South Carolina, and. <laughs> Upstate South Carolina, where we were, was so different from this part of Colorado. This part of Colorado, you can see for miles. I saw optics for a rifle that was, I believe, was it 20 power or 60 power? Was it 60 powered? 60. I did get that right. 60 power scope. I can't even imagine that where I live because it's a jungle. You can't see 70 yards. Much less, I don't know. I mean, three or four miles away. I've seen your pastor take a pot shot at a coyote, and I swear he had to put it up like this as a howitzer, as it was. It looked like a mile and a half out there. That didn't stop us from putting off a couple rounds into the air, you know. But uh, you just can't see that far where we live. And really, really, the dynamic is is such that storms will pop out of nowhere because you can't see for all that all that space. There's mountains there. Now they're not very. They're not. Colorado mountains, okay? They're not you all with your 14,000 foot peaks and your tree lines and all, look, we just have mole hills back east, but would you just pat us on the head and make us feel good as we call them mountains? Okay. So the mountains are there and storms will pop over those mountains. You just have very little time before they hit you. So it was that my dad and my two brothers and I were working on a house. It was an old mill house in Greenville County, South Carolina. We had torn off layers of asphalt shingles. We had torn off a layer of cedar shingles, which meant there was no solid decking on the roof. There were slat boards. We had to cover that with plywood. We then had to cover that with felt paper and then put a roof on. It was a very involved process. Well, we had this one side of the roof all the way torn off, and we were about to start sending up plywood when all of a sudden my dad looked at the sky. He said, oh, boys. He said, look, I can see the tip of that cloud there. It's going to be on us in in no time at all. We've got to get this roof covered. And so he had a tarp. He unrolled that tarp, and man, as we were unrolling the tarp, sure enough, the rain came in, those clouds broke, and it it just dumped all kinds of rain on top of us. So here we were, four human lightning rods in the middle of a thunderstorm trying to spread a tarp out over this house. Now if you know anything about construction, you will understand that when dry wall becomes wet wall, there's a problem. Okay, So we could not allow the water to get in into that exposed house. We couldn't do that. Well, everything was fine. We had the tarp all the way spread out, but there was one issue we had to deal with. The house had a steep part here, and it had a flatter part here. Well, right there in that transition, the water, for some reason, was not scooting off the end of the roof. It was ponding right there. Eight pounds to the gallon. It's getting heavier and heavier and heavier and heavier. didn't take a rocket scientist to understand before long that tarp's not going to be able to hold that much weight. And when it breaks and all that water goes in on the attic, none of, us, none of us wanted to think about that because it meant we would have been doing the roof job for free and painting their kitchen and giving them, I mean, we would have, we would have done the whole thing for free. So my brother James, who was 19 months younger than I, and I were working at that transition area. The tarp was wet, we were soaked, the the rain continued to fall, and yet we were trying to get our arms underneath it and shoot it off onto the side. But the more we tried, the, the, the the less good we were doing. I don't know if you've ever grabbed a heavy, wet tarp, but if you grab it enough, it will take the skin off of your fingers. So now we're bleeding, you know, and that, it wasn't very bad. Not like we need to go to the emergency room. That just sounds tough in the story, okay? So anyway, we were bleeding. We were trying to get this thing off and working hard, you know. I don't know how we finally got it off, but there came a time when all of a sudden that water came up. It shot harmlessly off onto the ground, and no sooner had it done that, we stretched the tarp tight so that we watched as every drop that hit the top went all the way off and fell harmlessly onto the ground. So now here we were. Rain is still falling. Lightning is still flashing. Thunder, it's it's all there. It's not a prairie storm. Don't think it was that bad because they're not that bad back there. But it was still, I've seen it strike trees and split them in half like Paul Bunyan's axe. I mean, it can be scary. We were standing up there in that storm. And my dad is standing at the top of the roof. My youngest brother John is up there with him. And he looked at me, and I will never forget the words that he said. He looked at his skinny boys, all three of them on the roof, and he said, Boys, I'm proud of you. That's what he said, Brother Gardner. And you know what? All of a sudden, the rain didn't matter, the lightning didn't matter. Nothing mattered. Because at that moment in my life, the man that mattered most to me in all the world had put his stamp of approval on my work. He had looked at what I had done, me and my two brothers, and he had said, I'm proud of you. He approved my work. Are you listening tonight, ladies and gentlemen? There is coming a day when all of us who know Christ as Savior will stand before God. And as we do, it is possible for us to live our lives here on this earth so that we will hear, here it is, well done, good and faithful servant. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. I want to tell you, that motivates me. A reward. When I stand before God, I want you to notice verse 15. The fire is still going. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. Yet he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. You say, Brother Paul, what's the loss there? I want you to hear me loud and clear. It's not the loss of salvation. Salvation is determined by your acceptance of the, of the gospel while you're on this earth. And once you accept the gospel of Jesus Christ, that is a once-in-a-lifetime thing for all time, for all of eternity. It's settled. You're kept by the infinite power of God through faith to salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. You are kept by the one who is able to present you faultless at the presence of our Lord's glory with exceeding joy. You are in the, in the hand of Jesus and He is in the hand of the Father and no man is able to pluck Him out of the Father's hand. That's what the Word of God says. So the law spoken of here is not a loss of salvation. But it is a loss of reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. I think the songwriter maybe had had it right when he wrote, Must I go and empty-handed... Thus to meet my Savior's soul. Not one soul with which to greet Him must I empty-handed go. I wonder, might it be that someone in here tonight, you know Christ is Savior, but you've not been living for Him. You've been living for yourself. You've been living for things that are, that are temporary. You've not been concerned about the power of the Holy Spirit. Might it be that someone in here, though you'll be saved, you'll be saved so as by fire. You know Christ is Savior, but you at, the, at, that, at that point in time will watch as all that you have done co- turns to ashes before the fire of God's judgment. I don't know about you, but the more I understand of what Jesus gave for me, the more motivated I am to be able to give something back to Him. Does that make sense? He shall suffer loss, loss of reward. Well, the rewards will one day be thrown back at the Lord Jesus' feet, according to the book of Revelation, if I understand it correctly. And boy, I would never... I would never want to be a part of that throng and have nothing to lay back at His feet. And so tonight I want to ask you, are you prepared for the fire? That fire is going to try your work. It's not going to try your soul if you're saved, but it will, it will try your work. You see, if you know Jesus Christ as Savior, you have been saved unto good works. That's what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. So what kind of good works are forming that part of your building that will not burn? Are you prepared for the fire? We were coming eastbound on Interstate 40. I was preaching in California, and it was time for us to go back home. I, I think it was close to Thanksgiving time, and so we had, we had left Barstow behind us. We had left Flagstaff behind us, and we were, we, had, we were through Albuquerque all the way into Texas. We had even come through Amarillo, Texas, but it was time to stop for the night. So my family and I, we were, we were talking about it, and I said, well, hey, here, here's a little spot in the road. It's called Allen Reed, Texas. Let's stop there. We'll pull our trailer in there. We can stop for the night. We can continue on the, the following day. So sure enough, I pulled into Allen Reed, Texas there, and Allen Reed, Texas is one of the smallest towns in America that I've ever seen. I mean, it is really... They have postcards that advertise there are more skunks in Allen Reed than people. Now, I don't know if, I don't know if they're referring to registered Democrats or what. I don't, I don't know what that means, but the truth is they advertise there are more skunks there than people. This little place where we stopped, the only thing in Allen Reed, Texas, it was five business establishments in one. It was a gas station, it was a motel, it was an RV park, it was a grocery store, and it was a post office. All of those five in one. Well, I pulled in there, and, uh, and sure enough, they had, some, they had some space in the RV park. And I don't know if they were 8 or 12 spaces. It wasn't a very big park, but it was all we needed. And so I, I paid them, and I pulled in. And the only other person in the RV park was a, about a $300,000 motorhome. And I initially pulled in next to it. But then I thought better that Pastor Monday. I said, "You know, there's no point in this. Nobody else is going to stop in Allen Reed, Texas tonight. I'm going to pull out of here, and I'm going to put some space between him and me in case my wife gets in a fight in the middle of the night." You have no idea how difficult it is to live in a church parking lot when there are discussions that arise in an evangelist marriage. You have to do it all in mime, because you can't be arguing when people are coming up to come to the meal. You, know, you have to do it all in Panama, So I said, I don't, want, I don't know that anything's going to happen. It very rarely does. But in case it does, I don't want this guy to hear us. So I put some distance between us. Then we all went to bed. Everything was fine. I didn't see the fellow in the, in the big motorhome. But at 3.30 in the morning, I heard a knock on my, on my trailer door. It was a knock so loud and so urgent, I just sprang from the bed like a jack-in-a-box. You know man, 3.30 in the morning. This was the first thought that went through my mind. I thought, this is it. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre revisited. I expected to hear it. I expected to hear, I expected to see the bar come through the door of my trailer and to cut it all out, and we were going to be murdered in our beds. I don't know why that came to my mind first. I've never even seen the film The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I don't know what it's about it just sounded likely at 3.30 in the morning. But I began to, I began to pull my, my clothes on. It was cold outside. I began to, to pull some things on so I could go outside and talk to whoever was at the door. My wife said, don't you go to that door. Decent people don't knock on the door at 3.30 in the morning. She had a point. She really did. But nevertheless, I put my I put my shoes on and, I, and before I could open the door, the man from the outside said these words, my coach is on fire. Sure enough, I opened the door and it appeared that white steam was pouring out of his $300,000 motor But I looked over where the bedroom area typically is and the, the window was open. Here was a man, it was about 28 or 29 degrees, there was frost on the ground. Here was a man standing there in his socks. He and a little dachshund, or as we say in the south, a little wiener dog, okay? They, those two, they, they, were, they had escaped out that window. I immediately went to my fire extinguisher. I said, sir, here's a fire extinguisher. Let's do what we can. Let's try to put out the flames. He said, no, no. He said, you have children in your trailer. You need to get out of here. I couldn't argue with that either because on board every, almost every RV, there are propane tanks. Well, I had no idea what the propane tank would do in a fire, but I wasn't really eager to sit around and find out. And so I told my wife, I said, we've got to get out of here. She began to load up the trailer and do everything that we do to get it ready to go. I, I got everything ready and pulled out, and, but right before I pulled out, I went to the man one last time and I said, Sir, isn't there anything that I can do for you? He said, no, there isn't. You just need to get on the road and get out of here and get to safety. And so as I turned away from him, he was looking at his motorhome. By this time, the walls were gone. You could see the aluminum frame, but it was gone all the way down to the steel I-beams, and the tires themselves were on fire. As for the propane tanks, they had begun to ventilate, and they were arcing propane jets back and forth across that burning hulk. And as I walked away, I'll never forget what he said. He looked at that, and he said, Everything I own is in that coach. That kind of made me shudder. But I've never thought about that time, beginning then and all the way until now. I've never thought about that. But what I've thought to myself, there's coming a day when I'll stand before God and I'll say to myself, everything I've ever done is in those flames. And if you know Christ as Savior, that's true for you just as it's true for me. So I say to you tonight, you must live your life to be prepared for the fire. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for all that you've done for us. We thank you for Calvary. We thank you for salvation. And we thank you for you and your goodness in that you tell us about the fire, and about the judgment. Father, I pray that you'd help us to examine ourselves this evening and help us to be prepared for the fire. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. We talked about the foundation. The Scripture speaks of it. How many of you would say tonight, you know, Brother Paul, whatever else is true in my life, There's no doubt in my mind. I have the foundation. I know that I'm saved, Brother Paul. If I were to die tonight, I would go straight to be with the Lord in heaven. I know that I'm saved. If that describes you, put up your hand. Would you do that, please? Just put it up as a testimony. I know that I'm saved. There's not a doubt in my mind. Thank you so much. You can put your hands down. If you just raised your hand, would you just take a moment where you are and silently thank the Lord for saving you? Would you do that? Now, for those of you that just raised your hands, has God spoken to your heart? I want to be very careful in this invitation. It's not uncommon when we preach a message like this, that someone looks back and they say something like this, Oh, Brother Paul, it was a long time before I got saved. Or they say it was a long time before I got right with God. And they, they want to dwell on wasted opportunities of the past. Can I tell you, if you're listening to this message tonight, don't dwell on what's past. Don't dwell on that. I have wasted opportunities. I'm sure the pastor has wasted opportunities. You have wasted opportunities. That's fine. There's nothing we can do about it now. But let's look to the future. Instead of beating ourselves up about the past, let's say, dear God, from this day forward, Let me build with gold, silver, and precious stones. So I wonder, child of God, has God spoken to your heart? This is the question that I would, this is the way I would word it. Who here would say, Brother Paul, God has put his finger on specific things in my life that need to change? so that I will build with gold, silver, and precious stones. How many of you can say that? If that described you, would you put up your hand? Wow, God bless you. God bless you. Many, many. God bless you. Thank you. You can put your hands down. And let me say this. I want to give you opportunity to respond. I want to give you opportunity to move from your seat, and as soon as you hear the piano strike the first note of music, I want you to get up from your seat and find a place at the front and say, Dear God, You've spoken to my heart. This is it. Name it before God. This is it, Lord. You've spoken to my heart about this and this and this. Now I need your power to obey you. God delights when he sees us running to him for the power that we need to be obedient. Let me ask one final question. Would there be someone here tonight and you'd say, you know, Brother Paul, I don't have that foundation. If I were to die tonight, I couldn't, I I don't have the assurance that I'd go to heaven. I'm not sure that I'm saved. I wonder, would you pray for me? If that describes you, would you just lift your hand so I and the pastor can see it? Mm -hmm. Anyone like that tonight? Pray for me, gentlemen. I'm not sure I'm saved. Pray for me. Pray for me. All right, let's stand to our feet, please, with our heads bowed and eyes closed. Everyone standing. Lord Jesus, you've seen the hands of your people. People that with the uplifted hand have said, there are some specific things that need to change in my life so that my life can stand the test of fire. It can be gold, silver, and precious stones. I pray that they would, be, that they would do business with you tonight. I pray, Father, that on their knees they would understand humility and the need for the power of God to obey the leading of God. Work in this invitation, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.